Hey listeners, so something kind of weird happened with this episode. Somebody must have been trying to jam our transmission because we only had one quarter of the sound quality we usually do on this episode. But there's some really good content here, so I figured we might as well still put it out there. Uh, if it's not your jam, if you're not digging the uh, audio quality, really apologize about it. But uh, we'll have another episode coming out. Check it out without further ado, Dark Days Radio episode number 84. We are back. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Darker Days Radio. I'm Chig. Joining me tonight is my co-host, Mike. Mike, say hello to the people. Why, hello, dear listeners. How's it going? Really excited to be here with Chig once more at my kitchen table. Now, of course, no one's actually heard the original kitchen table episode because I've yet to edit it and get it out the door, but it'll be out there soon. It exists. This is an inside joke for us because I will, I guess, edit that and get it out before this episode comes out? I really hope you don't at this point. <laughs> it'd be much better to just have that joke in here and have it make sense to everyone. Okay, I guess I'll do that then. Or not. Whatever. I'm down for anything. It was a good episode we did. It was a good, good episode. episode. Good, good parts. Now, Chig, you've been up here in the New England area for a little bit, and uh, I'm just wondering uh, kind of where you've been and if you've been to any cool new game stores since you've been up here. Uh, I've been mostly in the Providence, Rhode Island area, mm-hmm. and uh, no, no, I have not. I've been to several game stores, but they have very, very small selections. I'm very sad for everybody who lives up here. You guys need better stores. That's really harsh, Chig. But I'm spoiled coming from Texas, where everything is bigger, including, apparently, our gaming stores. Jeez, man, so... Have any stood out? Have you been to Rivendell Books and Games? I did go to Rivendell Books and Games. It's a nice place. It's not a bad place, but it's not a great place. Uh, It's nothing to write home about. I'm sorry if the the owners are operated at Rivendell listen to us and they want to change my mind. They can throw some money at the show. We're cool with that. (laughs) But uh, we are not cool with that. We are not actually cool with that. But uh, we are a non-profit. Um, But yeah, it was uh, just a a store. It had a very limited, very... Did uh, they have any of the cool old stuff there? No. No, they didn't. It's not. all gone? They had a whole bunch of brand new... Well, I say a whole bunch. They had a couple of shelves of oh, new books. Where did it all go? They had themed folios. We're talking AD&D First Edition. We're talking Old School White Wolf. We're talking AD&D Second Edition Ravenloft. And that's all next to the weird crystals and so other weird, weird books. They, they now have, I believe, a uh, $4... A used copy of a, um, what was it, uh, Buck, whatever, in the 25th century. Buck Rogers? Buck Rogers Adventure. <laughs> Just the Adventure, not the core. Oh. And they have a whole bunch of uh, old dragon magazines. And that is uh, the used selection that they have available at this time. Jeez, my gosh. Somebody cleared them out, apparently. Well, that's the last time I recommend a place to you that I haven't been to in 15 years. That's what happens. <laughs> Time passes, things change. Uh, well, Chig, I just got back from California. California, did you have a burrito with french fries inside of it? 
I did not. As is the style of our people in California. Is it? Yeah, it's California-style burrito. Have you not heard of this before? I, there were no french fries in any burritos I eat. Clearly you didn't go ask for it California-style. I guess not. I went to In-N-Out and asked for animal-style. And, and, and then I remembered why I'd never go to In-N-Out burger. I go there once every time in California, and I'm always like, ah, oh, that was a mistake. Yeah, we have those in Texas now, and it is, in fact, a mistake every time I go there. Yep, pretty much. But I did go to some game stores, Jake, and... Did you go to any good game stores? I did. I did go to one. Do you remember the names of any story. of them that you enjoyed? So, so, I mean, I enjoyed all of them, but you know, a, a, many of them left something to be desired. So I went to first um, the Outer Plains Games and Comics in uh, Santa Rosa, California, and it was a little depressing because their shelves were so empty. Yeah. They had like so many shelves for like magic cards, and they're like, oh, we got like the five newest sets, and that's it. Uh, and their RPG selection was Warhammer, Pathfinder, D&D, and then one Call of Cthulhu book, which I purchased. Well, at least you, you know, dropped some cash on the vendor. I did, I did, yeah, I really, really wanted to support them. Um, and then I also went to uh, Baseball Cards and Memorabilia in Bronner Park, which is mostly, uh, actually, Magic and Pokemon cards. Actually, they had like a nice, sizable like play area for people for like tournaments, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they did have a lot of baseball memorabilia, which is actually kind of cool to look at. It was like a lot more interesting, interactive than like just the magic cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. You know, it seemed like nice people there. And then uh, I went to two other places. One other place. I went to one place like up in Ukiah, way out there. I literally walked in, looked around, and was like, I. Don't want to buy anything here. That happened to me when I went to the uh, aforementioned Rivendell. Really? You didn't buy anything at Rivendell? I, I mean, a single penny. if they've lost all their old books, they're all gone. Open sold off, and they do have oh a good collection of uh, fifth edition D and D books. If you'd like to buy those, so, yeah. exactly. I think I've got all the five D I need at the moment. Yeah. Um. That's. A, I mean. I'm commenting to you about this as I was out in California. This is the first time I've ever been in a game store and I just did not purchase anything. It was actually an okay store. They had a lot of different stuff. It was just I didn't want any Warhammer. I didn't want any D&D 5th edition because I don't need it anymore. I didn't want to buy any magic cards. didn't want to buy any comic books. I was just like, oh, I guess I'm going to go. Yeah. That's the first time I ever had that feels. But, Jig, but, I went to my favorite game store, in all of California, which is Gator Games, which has a, it's it's a small location, you know, it's probably not as large and in charge as some of your Texas stuff you got over there, but for my my humble Bostonian, uh, you know, attitude, it just seems like it seems like a great place. Okay, they have a fun selection of different you know card games, board games, wargaming from Confrontation to Warhammer. Way in the back. You gotta jump over the pit trap. You gotta dodge the alligators. But then you get to the RPG section. Which has so much. So much. New stuff. Used stuff. Classics. Oh my gosh. It's great, man. I'm a little great. And I bought a bunch of Chronicles of Darkness books. Vampire the Reckoning stuff. 50% off. Ba-boom! Nice. Good fun. Yeah, it was good. And then my friends met me there, and they were like, oh, we need to get a D&D for the edition player's handbook. And they had none. 
Because it's just Helena Hopkins still. That's still what we call irony. Yeah. Also popularity. You're right. They are still selling a crazy amount of yeah. players' handbooks for it being a three-year-old book now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I think that about covers it for my game store experiences. Really love Gator Games down in uh, San Mateo, California. Highly recommended. Check it out if you're in the area. So, Jake, I think we're going to uh, talk about some, some secret frequencies today because well, we haven't really been covering those that much in the show recently. You're right. We've been doing a lot of interviews and a lot of uh, high-concept stuff. More of that coming, of course. Yeah, indeed. But uh, we have been kind of slacking off on the uh, secret frequencies. I guess you could call them secret <laughs> oh my gosh, we just lost three listeners. But, puns aside, let's just dive right into it. It's under the stairs. So, Chick and I were talking about the classic 80s cyberpunk TV show, Max Headroom. Ironically, available nowhere for streaming. Yeah. And uh, the topic of pirate radio and broadcast signal intrusion came up. Uh, for reasons we'll get into later. Uh, so we figured, hey, what would you do a secret frequency on this? Uh, so, supernatural control of broadcast media is a major theme in many One World of Darkness games. So the concept of pirate radio stations can fit very nicely into your games. In addition to that, the concept of signal intrusion fits very well into horror games. And, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of dive into this. So... Uh, first off, what is pirate radio? Well, in the modern era, uh, pirate radio usually refers to an unlicensed radio broadcast. Uh, usually this is done on an open FM wavelength that uh, isn't used by any licensed radio station. And there's there's a lot of different examples uh, I found of how pirate radio stations can work and exist. Uh, it's usually for social reasons. Uh, in the US, it's frequently for uh, sharing political news, uh, usually by far right wing nuts, uh, but not always. Sometimes far left wing nuts. Yep, we got those too. Uh, while in the UK, they exist uh, in a lot of places actually to support underground music in that scene. And historically, the Soviet Union was subject to many pirate radio stations border blasting, which would broadcast media and propaganda from you know the NATO countries. Uh, the United States especially started to crack down on pirate radio stations in the post-2001 world, but government attempts to shut down antennas and transceivers caused pirates to get pretty clever, usually using a lot of cool, interesting techniques to stay on the air. So, for example, they'll start broadcasting from boats, uh, they'll broadcast from the top of abandoned uh, buildings, uh, they'll actually, this is really just fun, they'll hang the transceiver uh, portion down an inaccessible ventilation shaft. And one guy actually was uh, uh, listening to his explanation. He would just like throw like garbage down there and then try to concrete it up so that no one could like get the transceiver out of there. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, well, you can just cut the electrical power, but minor. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Uh, also, they'll broadcast from mobile homes. Another one I heard about. This was actually taking place in protest. Uh, they were broadcasting a pirate frequency from an umbrella. The umbrella itself was the antenna with broadcasting, like, boomboxes and that sort of thing. It's just a little local frequency kind of mm -hmm. thing, low power. Yeah, exactly, and that's the interesting thing, Shig, about the low power, is that uh, this is kind of the opposite of what you hear about radio stations, that sort of thing. They're not actually that expensive to broadcast. You can broadcast a 4-watt 
uh, signal, basically, from, say, an umbrella or something like that. Uh, and that can reach a few miles in radius. So, science review. On a clear day, if you're broadcasting from the top of the coast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But, I mean, science review here, Chig. That light bulb up there, how many watts is that? I'm guessing it's about a 60-watt bulb. Yeah, so this is a lot less than one light bulb. Uh, that's how much power you need to just, like, broadcast a few miles. Anything else, Chig, that you want well, to add in? In addition to uh, a low-power uh, broadcasting, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, border blasters uh, mm-hmm. that we, or that NATO countries used against the uh, USSR back when that was a real concern. Um, but uh, don't forget that border blasters actually date back to uh, when music in uh, the United States was uh, segregated, and uh, radio mm-hmm. station owners would not play black bands on uh, their stations. So uh, some enterprising people who were listening to black music would uh, set up transmitters right on the other side of the uh, Mexico border and just pump a ton of electricity into them to just blanket the airways as far north as Kansas. I believe it, yeah. And you can get those transceiver, uh, and the antennas broadcasting with a lot more power, um, which is usually what the, uh, you know, mainstream media is using. You're using like, uh, 100,000 watts, that sort of thing. It's been so long since I listened to terrestrial radio, I could not tell you if they claim to be using. Well, that's... I just hate you with the scientific facts. But yeah, I mean, I don't listen to radio either. That's what makes a super frequency I a little... to podcasts. Yeah, and really, in a lot of ways, we can just kind of continue with this thread here. I mean, podcasting has taken over a lot of what pirate radio, you know, did, the content... Because um, you can find music podcasts, you can find podcasts about, you know, individual hobbies, that sort of thing. Yeah, and like, who would do a podcast about their hobbies? That I sounds mean, really ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're cool. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, in a lot of ways, like in the uh, the UK music scene, a lot of the pirate radio stations, it's just a lot cheaper than to release podcasts, that sort of thing. Um, and also legal, and yeah, they also have to of the yeah, law. They don't have to hide a transmitter in a uh, ventilation shaft and then fill it with garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's interesting how it's taken over. But some of the arguments for keeping pirate stations around, and people still uh, have these, is that um, you can't block the signal, basically. It's very it's not that easy to jam FM radio. Um, it can be done, but it's it's challenging. Uh, the Soviet Union frequently failed at uh, jamming it. So, um, it, it, podcasts, you know, they don't work as well because they're distributed by someone. There's someone that could actually interfere with your files, block them, that sort of thing. But when it's just the radio waves and you're controlling the signal yourself. So, as I mentioned, pirate stations usually broadcast at open frequencies to avoid interference. Uh, it's tough for your low-power antenna to go up against one of those... Uh, 100,000 watts antennas of the major FM stations. However, what happens when someone intentionally tries to broadcast on a major network's frequency? What happens when you cross the streams, Chin? Total photonic inversion. <laughs> that is that is the correct quote, Chig. I actually just watched that earlier today. Good choice. Yeah. Um, so, it's also the reason why I took me so long to finish this episode. Because I was like, oh, I'll just watch Ghostbusters as I work. And I'm like, in the background. That's not yeah. Ghostbusters. No, I just, um, so, in this case, 
you run the chance of broadcast signal intrusion. And there have been a number of these sabotorial, bizarre broadcast signal intrusions over the years that are great inspirations for World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness games. So, in 1977, an intrusion occurred in Hamilton, UK's ITN News Update. The message proclaimed to be the voice of Asteron on an intergalactic mission to Earth. The voice proclaimed that the people of Earth must disarm their weapons and live in peace, or leave the galaxy. Clearly we chose off of and <laughs> we are no longer part of the Asteron galaxy. I guess not, maybe they moved the planet or something. It was, it was a, all those stars they had to move to keep our constellations the same. Big undertaking for a last run. In 1987, an individual donning a Max Headroom mask and sunglasses intruded on WGN-TV broadcast outside Chicago several times, not just once, multiple times. On one occasion, the intruder made disparaging remarks about a local sportscaster calling him a frickin' liberal, uh, before dropping his trousers and being spanked by a fly swatter. Several copies of this intrusion exist, uh, because it occurred during a Doctor Who episode, so a lot of uh, American fans were filming it. Oh, I've, I've seen this video. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's definitely a thing that happened, it's... and it's an excellent use of your time and resources, whoever you were. <laughs> oh my gosh. Also in 1987, the Playboy Network's TV satellite was intruded upon, with the usual content being replaced by, quote, Thus saith the Lord thy God, remember the Sabbath, and keep it holy, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Of all the commandments that you could choose to run on Playboy television, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Maybe not the first one that I would. I think they were just, they just wanted to go to church. Go to church, and then the rest of it would follow. I think that was their intent. Okay, I'm sure that that uh, totally turned around someone's mind. I don't think it did. Definitely not. Man, cable was expensive back then. What? This is satellite, though. That's something I've tried to look up. They really had like satellite TV in 1987. Oh yeah, they had the big giant satellite they had put in your backyard. It was you know as big as a like hot tub size. Like oh, six or eight feet across. Oh, I think a hot tub would have been better use of that space. Well, if you were the kind of person who was using satellite TV to watch uh, the Playboy channel in 1987, I don't think you had a lot of people coming to your hot tub park. <laughs> uh, pirate broadcasts and signal intrusions were, of course, very common behind the Iron Curtain. In Poland, the students uh, intruded on state-run television signals to post a message calling for the boycott of the rigged 1985 same elections. Additionally, uh, the northern Russian city of Arkhangelsk uh, is legendary for its pirate radio stations, which typically uh, only operated at night. And in Kaluga, Russia, in 1966, an 18-year-old pirate broadcasted a uh, hoax that nuclear war had broken out in the United States. Finally, broadcast intrusions can be used as part of like psychological and hybrid warfare. So, for example, during the 2006 Lebanon War, Israel overloaded the satellite transmission of Hezbollah's Al-Manar TV to broadcast anti-Hezbollah propaganda. Uh, one spot showed Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah uh, with crosshairs superimposed on his image, followed by three gunshots and a voice saying, Your day is coming. And then shots of Israeli Air Force destroying uh, targets in Lebanon. Very subtle. Uh, yeah. there on the part of uh, Israel. 
Good job. Propaganda usually isn't subtle, I don't think. It's usually pretty bold. Loud, in many ways. So that was a lot. We just hit you guys with a lot of information. But let's talk about how you can use these kind of cool ideas and real-world concepts in your horror games. So, in One World of Darkness, uh, there are two elements that immediately spring to mind that you can use. Uh, they already basically use broadcast signal intrusion. The first is the Road Council from uh, Mage the Ascension. Well, come on, Chig, what's what's wrong with the Road Council? They, they utilize broadcast signal intrusion to send messages to television, radio, and I assume the internet? I don't know, this book came out in 1999 or something. There was an internet in 1999. I was on it. Was there really? And uh, they use this to communicate with the remnants of tradition mage cabals. Sure, they, they were all about uh, rekindling the Ascension War, getting the message out there that, hey, there's no reason to live in the shadows, uh, go out there and fight the good fight, this and that and the other. This came as, uh, in the real world, this came as a uh, huge response after Wade Revised uh, stated that uh, the technocracy had totally won the Ascension War, and the traditions were basically hidden on the way up. Because and you may or may not know, you are currently listening to this podcast on a piece of technology brought to you by the technocracy. The technocracy, bringing you good things since the dawn of civilization, including civilization. <laughs> Pretty much. But I mean, the Road Council, they actually, they seem like a cool idea. They make sense that there would be this kind of like, uh, rogue, rogue organization trying to, um, you know, unify and give direction to the tradition ages after... You know, they've been cut off by, uh, from the Tradition Council, from Horizon, and all that kind of stuff. No, I, I agree with you there, that it does make sense that there would be at least some people out there who still wanted to go out and fight the good fight. I mean, here, in a, well not here, but where I'm from in America, there are people who still fly the Confederate flag, even though that is a lost cause, give up. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, even, you know, if you have, if you don't have immortal members of your group, Mages do have immortal members. Mm. Uh, there's going to be somebody out there who still wants to go, you know, stick it to the man, take down the big bad guy, and keep up, keep up the good fight. The problem that I have with the Road Council is they became just too powerful. Too uh, just, I can see that. We can get anywhere, there's nothing you can do to stop us. Ha 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 ha. We can get behind all your boards, we can do this, that, and the other, with no explanation. And then when they did eventually had explanation, Mm. I can see that, Jake. Yeah, they should really be this kind of, you know, very mysterious group. No one really knows who they are, and they are only subtly shifting pieces on the chessboard. Or they're just they're nudging them. Big and overt, and, you know, guys with big giant magical flamethrowers or whatever. Make them that. Just make them people who still want to fight the good fight. We already make had them, that. We already had that with Horizon. And they, they kind of wanted to get that out of the setting. Make them the resistance from the new Star it's a group of people who still want to keep fighting. That's fine. I have nothing, nothing against that. But the way that they that they did it was just a, a poor implementation of a decent idea. Okay, understood. Speaking of ideas that Chig finds questionable, let's talk about Hunter the Reckoning. Because the messengers implemented ideas. <laughs> the messengers in that uh, are these mysterious entities that could be anything. It could be anything, Chig. Literal angels. Could be anything, Chig, unless you read that one book. And they communicate Greek messages to the imbued, typically during their viewing when they uh, come upon their powers in the second sight, telling them 
that something is wrong with the world, and that there's horrible, evil, no good, very bad monsters. That's true, um, and it's explained in later Hunter the Reckoning books why they only do that during the imbuing. Uh, they can reach out after that if you buy a particular background. There are, in fact, two groups to whom they continue to talk. They are the two groups that are not meant to be player characters because one of them is bookworms who only hear from the messengers and don't have any actual abilities aside from I am on Angel Radio 24-7. Yep. And the other are what are called waywards? Yep. The guys who who could who got the full revelation dumped into their brains all at once and went completely insane. Yeah. So I like that idea. I do in fact like that as an idea. Um, even if you take away the dumb but whatever. Could be anything, Chad. Could be anything. Could be anything. Yeah, no, they're really neat. They're interesting. Um, from a sort of just a subtly nudging the pieces uh, kind of aspect. Which sure. is which is I think a, a good way to kind of represent this. If you look at a billboard and it says they live and you don't automatically go out and walk around your like hyper movie and instead go, <gasps> you might be a hunter. Um, but yeah, that's yep. a that's a that's a good good example. And as long as it is kept Infrequent and subtle like that, and if you look back at the billboard, it's like five jeans or whatever, pay the freight. But yeah, as long as it's not a constant intrusion into the whole character's lives, or the storyteller saying, "You're getting off the rails, go back this way," using you know, STPCs and pay freight. Yeah, I gotcha. So those are two I could think of. Chig, could you think of anything? Well, I mean, Mike, who could forget Radio Free Death from Orphan? Oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that one. It's a satellite broadcast in the uh, Orpheus game line that sends out a one-minute uh, broadcast nightly at midnight, oh, it's <laughs> going over what's happening in the afterlife. Sometimes it's factual events like, oh hey, there was a, another mess from there up this afternoon and it took out 30, uh, 30 ghosts. Sometimes it's just... Uh, over the mysterious broadcast period giving his you know, thoughts and opinions on things. In other words, it's a lot like talk radio. Yeah, kind of. I do remember someone had hosted, I don't know if this is officially White Wolf or it's just an independent project, but someone did make a couple of uh, one-minute Radio Free Death segments that you could download and check out. I don't think I ever knew that those existed. Yeah. Let's see if I can dig them up on the old Wayback Machine. Yeah, cool. So... Uh, in addition to that, in the Chronicles of Darkness, there is, of course, the secret frequency, broadcast by a uh, Hunter the Vigil compact, uh, typically spreading evidence of the supernatural to people across the internet. I can't believe they still are. Yeah, I know. Uh, however, with the gradual closure of independent websites, uh, a shift towards, and, and you know, the shift towards uh, more corporate media, perhaps Network Zero Hunters uh, will become more desperate and use broadcast intrusion stunts to spread the truth. Sure, now that we're losing net neutrality in 60 days, call your senators. Yep. Um, they're going to have to find another way to get uh, the information out there. Call your senators. Yep. So what about some like new cool ideas that we actually came up with ourselves rather than regurgitating them from existing White Wolf books? Well, what about Promethean Chig? Now, in first edition, the created's wasteland effect uh, can be really detrimental to having large gatherings of the created. So perhaps uh, the few created roaming the countryside have become a network of pirate radio stations to communicate. Um, 
and they might recommend Sea Havens and warn about uh, Sentamani and Pandorans. But while simple and inexpensive, FM radio is an open frequency, and who else could be listening? I mean, I would definitely listen to Prometheus broadcasts if they were giving their Hobo code of where to stay, who has mean dogs or whatever. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, it could be interesting. It could be a fun thing to, to check out. And in Changeling the Dreaming Chig, of course, there are knocker radios and other chimerical technologies out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, could signal intrusion be used into, I don't know, children's media and television shows to expose them to glamour? Perhaps magic? Uh, might this create muses or something like that? Well, I mean, anything is possible, but um, creating a dreamer is very difficult. In fact, it's something that may or may not be capable in the changing universe. It might be something just occurred naturally. However, you could very well use this to create glamour, to inspire dreaming, mm. to inspire creativity. In fact, it could be said that any form of art can inspire glamour. In fact, it is way back to inspire them in uh, children revised. Um, but when you talk about intrusion, what immediately comes to my mind is uh, the new It movie. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. Um, nope. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the movie. Let's take your headphones off. Thanks. Uh, there is a, there, there's a, a children's show that plays in the background of the movie. Uh, and if you pay attention in every instance of this TV show, you can see Pennywise dancing around, clowning around, and talking to the children of the town. Uh, it becomes overt at one point in the movie when he specifically speaks to one of the uh, characters in this film. And now Mike can rejoin the broadcast since he has not seen the movie. Okay, thanks. Didn't we do this last time we recorded? We might have done something I think, similar to this. I think that happened. And the Hydra had its hand, and, and someone who also avoids spoilers, I understand. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's cool, but using mass media to perhaps create dreamers, that sort of thing, I think it's a, it's a very effective tool and uh, something pretty cool for the uh, campaign to do. So that's about it for uh, broadcast signal intrusion. There's a lot of really funky stuff you can find out there. Check out YouTube, try to get some ideas, and uh, you know, check out some, uh, some examples to try to inspire your game. Maybe get some audio clips and you can find something. In your game. Yeah, exactly. Now, this whole concept reminded me of a, uh, a secret frequency that was recommended by a listener, uh, I want to say, like, seven or eight years ago. So, sorry I haven't gotten to it until now, but there's this really interesting art that kind of exists. Listeners, uh, in I want to take this moment out that if you send us something, we will eventually get to it. That's right. It might take a decade. It might take us a while. It might take us longer than you listen, but we will eventually yes. get to it. And I'm also sorry that I don't remember your name, but you remember who you are. You know who you are. So, going along with this theme, I wanted to present a second secret frequency, uh, which is about the Toynbee Tiles. So these tiles are classified as street art by the city of Philadelphia, but they represent so much more. The original tiles, uh, before imitators began showing up, were layered linoleum and asphalt crack filler that would randomly appear overnight in the streets of Philadelphia. And uh, the tiles began to appear in the 1980s, and the last originals seemed to have appeared in the early aughts. Um, and of course, these tiles carried a number of messages, but the most prevalent one was this, which quote is, Toynbee idea, 
in movie 2001, Resurrects Dead on Planet Jupiter. Well, clearly that was enough for Arthur C. Clarke to change the plot line of his book 2010. Uh, in the book 2001, it doesn't uh, involve the planet Jupiter or its moon at all, but rather uh, focuses on Saturn and one of its moons. So clearly there's something here. I, I think so. I think so, yeah. The, uh, the 2001 that they're referring to uh, is probably the movie 2001 Space Odyssey. Maybe not the book, because as I understand it, understand it, Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke started working together and they diverged as they went. They went their, they went their own lives. Yeah, which I guess includes changing the one planet for some reason. I don't know. I'm sure that uh, Stanley Kubrick had a very good reason to change from Saturn to Jupiter. Perhaps, perhaps, because that's what the dead are. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And in addition to this, there's this interesting documentary that uh, exists about the Twinkie Tiles, uh, which states that one night, uh, the, the guy who made the documentary was like walking out of a bar or something, and he saw like a car with an antenna on it, like drive up, stop, and then keep going. And right where the car had stopped, there was a Twinkie Tile, a fresh one, sitting right there. So... He, uh, the, the documentarian, um, has a theory that uh, as the individual was going around dropping the uh, Toynbee tiles, he was also broadcasting a low-wattage pirate radio station explaining the Toynbee theories uh, for anyone that would stumble across the signal. So, I would love to have heard a recording. Yeah, Crazy he, people talking about their great things. It is. Um... As I recall, the guy making the documentary was unable to find any recordings, but he did find multiple like, like ham radio enthusiasts that had actually picked it up and like, like yeah, I heard this weird guy talking about Jupiter and like trying to resurrect the dead. I didn't make much of it, and none of them recorded it, unfortunately. But yeah, it does seem like it was a real thing. Um, so this is all really bizarre. This is just a strange thing that happens in the real world. How can we use this in the world of darkness? So, let's listen to the tiles text again, the, the most common one, which said, Toying the idea in movie 2001, resurrects dead on planet Jupiter. So, yeah, movie 2001, as you mentioned, is probably 2001, 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. Great film, kind of slow, but, you know, it pays off. Uh, and it's this film where there's a space mission going to Jupiter that finds a terrible secret of space. And Toying the idea probably refers to R.L.J. Toynbee's The Idea, which alludes to uh, humankind and how it must always rush to meet the future and believe in a better world, and must always aim far beyond what is practically possible in order to achieve something barely within reach. These ideas have mage written all over them. So in Mage the Ascension, Jupiter represents matter, anything of substance with mass taking up volume. And assuming the creator of the Toynbee Tiles is a mage uh, that wants to resurrect the dead, uh, and perhaps influence a paradigm to do so, why would they need to go to Jupiter, Chig, to perform this sort of magic? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Mike. Uh, the reason for that, and because you mentioned uh, Mummy earlier on the air, mm -hmm. is because in uh, Jupiter, I'm sorry, Jupiter, in Egyptian astrology, astrology, Jupiter uh, is the planet that covers luck, fortune, and ability. Hmm, interesting. And uh, the manifestation of your material and spiritual 
wishes. The combining, if you were, of matter and spirit, which is why, according to that particular magical paradigm, you're going to involve Jupiter in any resurrection stuff. Mm. The Eye of Horus. Interesting. Very interesting, Chick. But in addition to that, we'd also discuss a little bit about consensus. And how humans' consensus only reaches Mars. Sure. And you would need to go beyond. Barely currently reaches Mars. <laughs> uh, the only planet in the solar system entirely populated by robots that we know. Um, yep. But yes, uh, the technocracy is uh, slowly but surely expanding the uh, edge of horizon, uh, which is where human consensus, human belief, shapes the reality. Uh, at one point, it was located. It was confined to parts of planet Earth, then it became the entirety of the Earth, then with the moon landing, we extended as far as the moon, and now with uh, Mars probes and robots, we have uh, eliminated those pesky Martians and their three-legged walkers, and we have converted all of Mars to a dead, but maybe there's water underneath all that dust. Maybe we'll see. Scientific consensus, consensus, is still out on that. So, this page would at a bare minimum need to get to the next planet, perform sure. such a, a grand and epic spell. Oh, absolutely. All of this would be impossible here in on Earth or in Mars, where the scientific uh, consensus makes it impossible to resurrect somebody who's been dead for a couple of minutes at best. Mm. But that next planet, of course, is Jupiter. Jupiter, the sky's the limit. So I think that's all we got for today. That's, that's a lot to think about for listeners. There is a lot. We covered quite a bit today. We covered pirate radio. We covered strange tiles in uh, Philadelphia. Fly swatter spankings on Chicago TV during a Doctor Who episode. There's a lot to, to digest here. I think we'll just... This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com.